0: Cheers, cast as part of the Fire and Water Network.
1: You know, this week I have gone out with all the women I know. I mean, all the women I really enjoyed. And all of a sudden, all I can think about is how stupid they are. I mean, my life isn't fun anymore. It's because of you. Because of me? Yeah. You're a snob. A snob? Yeah, that's right. Well, you're a rapidly aging adolescent. Well, I would rather be that than a snob. Then I would rather be a snob. Well, good, because you are. Sam, do yourself a favor. Go back to your tootsies and your rat parts. I'd hate to see the bowling alleys close on my account. (laughs) Hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying that uh, I'm too dumb to date smart women? I'm saying that it would be very difficult for you a really intelligent woman would see your line of BS a mile away. You think so? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I've never met an intelligent woman that I'd want to date. On behalf of the intelligent women around the world, (laughs) may I just say... (laughs) (laughs) Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot Wouldn't you like to get away? Your name. You wanna go where people know. People are all the same. You want go where everybody knows your name
0: Hello and welcome back to Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I am your host Ryan Daly and joining me for this time is a friend of the Fire and water network Mr. John Trumbull. Hello, John.
2: Hey, Ryan. Nice to uh, be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. I, I reached out to – I put on Facebook, you know, now hiring relief pitchers, relief bartenders, uh, anybody who wants to, to join the show, and you were very, very quick to uh, jump at it. So I appreciate the enthusiasm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think this might be the first Fire & Water podcast I've been on where I wasn't on with Rob Kelly. <laughs> this, this feels taboo.
0: <laughs> I thought – I'm trying to think if we recorded – we did something with Zoom Yukinori, right, when we talked about oh, Batman, yes, the Batman animated you're series? Right, yeah. You're
2: right. We did Zoom show. That's right. Okay. That was uh, no. I think
0: we, that was a big round roundtable. That
2: that's right. That's right. We did the ba- big Batman animated series episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, never mind. That's my mistake, and you can edit this out. <laughs>
0: oh, no, no. I'm leaving this in just to make sure that you – know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just to make me look as foolish as possible. J- Thanks, no, no. Buddy. It's
0: just it's just so that Zoom doesn't get a big head and think that everybody remembers. <laughs> <laughs> um but no but seriously dude i i thank you for coming on we're going to talk about cheers season one episode two titled sam's women uh but before we get into this episode what is your cheer story i mean how and when did you come to the show why did you want to be on this podcast
2: I'll answer the second question first. Uh, I want to be on the podcast because Cheers is one of the best sitcoms of all time. Absolutely. It's as funny today as it was when it originally aired. And it's, it's just beautifully done. I mean, everybody in the ensemble is great. It had wonderful writing, great direction by James Burroughs, nine times out of 10. I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful. Um, I came to the show I think pretty early on. I must have started watching it during the tail end of the first season or the beginning of the second, because I remember watching the last episode of season one, either when it first aired or as a rerun. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was very memorable for me, even even uh, coming onto to it uh, early on. And I mean, there are still lines from Cheers that I could quote verbatim <laughs> today. I mean, it's just they're, they're just wonderful, wonderful jokes and writing on that show.
0: Cool, cool. Uh, One of the things that we did not discuss in our extra-large pilot episode coverage was the intro to the the show. And I think Cheers has one of the most iconic and most memorable opening credits sequences. Definitely. Uh, And part of it is the visual design of the opening credits themselves, and part of it is the theme music. And we'll we'll look at the the visual component first because – it strikes me as very novel, especially at the time when I look at other sitcoms of the era before and after. You always had your credits shown with images of the cast, mm-hmm. um, it, whether it was you know like Family Ties, which was a lead-in for Cheers for a couple of years, where you just had like the framed photographs, the family photo album of the actors, or you had clips. Uh, which was even more popular clips of the actors, you know, as their characters in action from some episode of the show, whether it was the first episode or a couple episodes into the season, depending on how much they had filmed. It always felt like you could see the actors, you know, as their characters, so you knew who to watch. Yeah. Shears completely eschewed that. The opening credits sequence, it's a little caption of all of these old timey photographs mm-hmm. um, that look a little bit airbrushed to the to the fact that like they almost look like they're not photos but paintings. There's there's sort of that blurry edgeness to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but really cool and it's mostly muted colors to the fact that like the skin tones and a lot of the backgrounds look very black and white or sepia. But every one of the images has some kind of vibrant color that's popping out. Right. Um, the one that I always think of is when it shows Rhea Perlman's name on. You know, it's an image. It's just the legs of a couple of guys and one woman in like mm-hmm. a green cocktail dress, and it's a vibrant green. It really stands out. Um, what, what do you think about like just the the visual, that style of the of the opening credits? Well, I
2: mean, I love it. It's it's just so beautifully done, and I think. I mean, I think it really says something for how classic it is that they barely changed it, Mm -hmm. the the basic format of it through all the years that Cheers was on. I mean, all the the only adjustments they made was adding in new photos or new pieces of artwork for new cast members that they picked up along the way. Mm -hmm. But I, I love it with those those old photos from, you know, I guess they're from like the turn of the century, which I guess would be around the time Cheers was supposed to be founded. And, and the, you know, they also have like some things that are not like woodcuts, but like old ink drawings. And, you know, it, it really gives it a, a wonderful classical feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's something that I literally did not notice until I started watching Cheers episodes on Netflix is on the, the image where the woman's like holding the glass up, which is the title card for Cheers. Yep there's a drunk guy under the table, <laughs> like, leaning against her leg, and yeah. he's just got the most wonderful expression on his face, and uh, he might be my favorite character on the show now, because I just, like, my eye goes right to him whenever I see that title card now, and uh, I just love it so much because I didn't notice it for the well over a decade that the show was on, but <laughs> it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. there's something like detail. It's I mean, you, you kind of, like, mentioned that how the jokes still hold up and the show is as, is as funny and as good as today as it was, you know, 35 years ago or so. Yeah. Um we mentioned that a lot the last episode too and I think I think part of the the opening credits too also feel timeless. I mean they feel yeah. of a certain era that it's evoking, but that's that's not the same era as the show. So that opening credit sequence doesn't make the show age. It doesn't mark a certain time period where it feels like oh yeah this is definitely a show from 1982 1983 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it creates and it's also it's easy to parody. I mean I know Family Guy has has parodied the the opening sequence. I think other shows too have kind of parodied the the opening title sequence just cuz the images are kind of so iconic they've taken on a life of their own as has the the music that accompanies it. And it's uh Gary Portnoy's song where everybody knows your name mm-hmm. which Incidentally, it, it wasn't really their intention, but that theme became a sort of mantra of the show and of the bar itself. And they really kind of embedded that into the, this is this friendly place. And that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's sort of like Norm's theme almost when, you know, we walk oh, to yeah. the door and everybody shouts out Norm. It's that type of, you know, the feeling of camaraderie of, of home that, you know, your job might suck. You might be fighting with your spouse. You know, there might be something going on, but Cheers is this refuge that you go and, everything is warm and familiar and things like that. And it just, it makes you want to inhabit that space and be with those people.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you see that throughout the run of the show. I mean, that most of the characters on the show for a lot of the show, their lives are like falling apart. I mean, (laughs) not to get like too far ahead of the timeline, but you see people like, you know, they lose their jobs, they lose their spouses. They Mm -hmm, have mm
0: -hmm.
2: uh, like romantic breakups. I mean, they have a lot of hardships, That they're undergoing, but I mean, everyone, they may make fun of each other, but they all still support each other and they all still love each other. And there's always that camaraderie there. And that was really what made the show click. It's interesting also, like I I looked up the the full lyrics of the Cheers theme and like most everybody knows the main theme that you hear every week. The, you know, making your way in the world today Mm -hmm. And then it you know goes into the chorus, but there are a couple of verses that were written that they didn't use on the show. I think they only aired them on. I guess it was the 200th episode where they did yep. the big. Uh, yeah, that
0: was, that was the first time I heard it. Like they played the full version in the 200th episode, like celebration. Yeah. Just as like a montage because the full song is two and a half minutes long. The yeah. opening credits is only one minute, so yeah, you miss a, a big chunk of the song.
2: And the lyrics get increasingly more bizarre <laughs> as the song goes on and it's just like oh and i and you know maybe it's just cuz we didn't hear them every week like the other bits of the song but they don't really seem to fit I, what do you think of those?
0: I I like them as a sort of like a, a contrasting nature, um, and mm-hmm. I like the the sort of melodic quality later. Like I, I like the like I just remember the first time I heard it, the the variation. I think it's after the second verse or the last like sort of verse before the main course kicks in again. When he said, "Be glad there's one place in the world where everybody yes. knows your name," and I just love that slight twist on on the you know familiar refrain that that you hear every week. Um, and I just thought that was a cool thing. Yeah. As soon as, once I heard it, that was the first time that I'd heard the full song was on that episode, the 200th episode. And I was just like, oh, this is a really cool version. And then Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as as soon as I got like iTunes or like in college when I was first starting to download music, I think this is one of the first songs that I downloaded just (laughs) because I wanted to hear the whole thing again.
2: Um, Uh, well, I've got the lyrics up. Maybe I should read them for, for people who don't know. Um, so, okay. So it starts out, you know, making your way in the world today, takes everything you got taking a break from all your worries. Sure. Would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? And on the TV version, it segues into the chorus there, but on the lyrics I found it, it goes right into verse two, mm-hmm. all those nights when you've got no lights, the check is in the mail and your little angel hung the cat up by its tail and your third fiance didn't show. And then it goes into the, the chorus. So sometimes you want to go. Uh, and then verse three: Roll out of bed, Mister Coffee's dead. Morning's looking bright, and your shrink ran off to Europe and didn't even write. And your husband wants to be a girl. Be glad there's one place in the world where everybody knows your name.
0: Uh, so and, still, and, just and, I mean, kind of playing into the theme of you know life, the, the sort of hardships of life, the day's annoyances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like not having enough money to play to pay the bills, um, problems with spouses. Yeah. um even of the transgender transsexual nature it seems is into that. uh yeah surprise that never made it into the the main opening credits
2: yeah and it's fun. and and they have like you know the, that lyric your, and your third fiance didn't show i wonder if that was inspired by the pilot at all like if when gary mm-hmm. portnoy was writing the song if he knew that diane would basically be abandoned by her fiance right. uh, sumner and it's also got like that weird foreshadowing, you know, and you're bringing off, man to, off Europe. to Europe. <laughs> it's like which that'll, be a, bit, that'll a plot be a
0: point in the show. Yeah, that'll be part of season three.
2: I mean that that I'm sure is just coincidental, but uh,
0: but no, it does but, feel like kind of the life of the show can be encapsulated. In absolutely, song, these lyrics. Yeah,
2: absolutely. It's it's just funny.
0: Yeah. And but the thing is, like, even beyond that, like, I mean. A lot of opening theme songs that you hear on shows, either just musical or when they do have lyrics, sometimes they can be very, you know, saccharine and schmaltzy and just kind of uh, all about love and everything like that. But this is like I think this song works on its own. Like I could put this on a playlist if I'm just like, you know, cleaning Mm -hmm. the house or something or just like walking or just messing around on my computer. I'll listen to this song as a pop song you know yeah, it, yeah. the the it's melody a, the kind of good, yeah it's a solid
2: pop song and yeah it doesn't get too schmaltzy like you said yeah. it 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 stays on the right side of sentimentality yeah
0: yeah and i think the i think part of that is just the humor of it there, there's mm-hmm. a sense of playfulness to it that works
2: yeah and th- there is there is like you know some absurdity i mean it gets mm-hmm. more exaggerated it, you know like hanging up the cat by its tail and mm-hmm. your husband wants to be a girl those were more well, certainly the, the Husband Wants to Be a Girl, that was considered a much more absurd mm-hmm. thing in 1982. You know, nowadays, like, they wouldn't necessarily make that a joke, and that kind of plays into the, the episode we're about to talk about, too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a great song. And, I mean, I, I really admire the uh, the Charles Brothers and James Rurles for thinking outside the box when they were thinking about their theme.
0: Yeah, me too, because, again, it's it feels of a a sort of classic and timelessness that is a piece with the show itself. So yeah, it works. All right. Let us get into the episode proper that we're going to do, which again, the second episode of season one titled Sam's women. Uh, This episode was written by Earl Pomerantz. It was directed again by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, October 7th, 1982. When a buxom and brainless woman enters the bar, Diane discovers more about Sam's interests in the ladies. She disapproves of his womanizing and mocks him for settling for bimbos and airheads. In an attempt to convince Diane that he can date intelligent women too, Sam brings his ex-wife by the bar and tells Diane they went to the symphony together. That is a lie. They actually went to the movies to see Star Wars. Later, Sam turns his gaze on Diane, who, it turns out, is much more susceptible to his charms than she wants to admit. Meanwhile, an old customer named Leo comes looking for Cheers' previous owner, who had the knack for solving everybody's problems. Leo has to settle for Coach, who actually does help the man connect with his son, despite not wholly understanding the situation. And that, in a nutshell, is episode two. So, what did you think of this one, John?
2: Uh, I think it's I think it's a good one. I always find it interesting to watch like the really early episodes of shows and sitcoms in particular, because it's like before they've like totally 100% figured it out. So you see them trying a lot of things, you know, the the creators and the actors and the writers, they're they're figuring out what's what works and what doesn't. So you can see some things in early episodes that might not quite jibe with later seasons of the show. I know TV Tropes calls it uh, early installment weirdness. And <laughs> and you, you see a few moments like that in this show. Like I, I noticed like when Norm came in to the bar, like Carla comes up to him and she's like grinning. She's yeah. smiling ear to ear. And I'm just like, wow, I've never seen Carla that happy to see anybody, even Norm. I mean, <laughs> she generally likes Norm, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: yeah you know, that folks. that that sort of uh yeah, it's sort of like they're they're establishing that hey yeah everybody knows Norm everybody likes Norm. Within yeah, a few within yeah. a few episodes, it's like they they don't have to have like a pretense for that. It's just like yeah. Yeah, she'll be she she won't have to have that sunny disposition.
2: And like you know the, Norm has his typical entrance line uh, when when he comes in, and I remember reading on on Ken Levine's blog, which if you're a Cheers fan and you're not reading that blog, you you got to check it out. He also has a, a podcast uh, of his own. Um, and so he'll, he'll share lots of cool cheers, trivia and tidbits. And he says, like, for the first, I think, half dozen or so episodes of the show, uh, people weren't getting the Norm entrance line. Like, you know, what's what's shaking Norm all four cheeks and a couple of chins Sammy? <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's not the line from this episode, but that's the type of thing he'd do. And he, he said that, like, before the show aired, audiences or the, the live studio audiences weren't quite getting that that was a running gag. So they didn't. They weren't primed for it the way they would be a half season later. (laughs) And I could tell like the audience in this episode, they weren't laughing as much as they would uh, later on when people really got to know the show and really got to know the characters, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just the second episode after the pilot. So they're still feeling it out. I noticed like when Sam and Diane are having their exchange in the, in the pool room, at one point he goes like, Hey, I'm an ex jock who owns a bar and you're a post grad. And I hired you for this reason. And it's just like sort of bringing the new viewers up to speed. Like what the basic premise is. It's like, Oh, okay. So she's new here and he owns the bar and blah, 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 blah. So everybody can get a feel for what the show is about. But uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good episode. There's uh you know, there, there's, there's some moments where, you can tell that time has passed by a little bit. Like when, when Brandy, the bimbo comes in, she's just, you know, lighting up a cigarette in the bar and Norm's falling over himself to, to light her cigarette. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, wow, you never see smoking in bars anymore. (laughs) Um, but you know, 1982 and, uh, Leo, the, uh, the guy who comes in to get advice from Gus, uh, it turns out he's all torn up about because his, his son wants to marry another guy. And, they're not really making fun of that situation, but that but it that's the surprising turn.
0: Yeah, actually that was one of the things that I, I did want to pick up on because mm-hmm. that's that sort of subplot, you know, at first the whole uh, you know at first it sounds like the problem with the relationship with Leo with his kid is that you know his his son's fiance might be a different color mm-hmm. uh, like there's the racial component to it but then it turns out it's not just a racial thing it's also a, a gender thing it's, it's, his son is gay and he's having trouble connecting with that and the coach sort of accidentally helps him realize well hey I can't just leave my son I can't kick my son out of my life he's too important to me so I have to accept him as he is so that's right. sort of like the the resolution that they come to. And, and yeah, it's – I mean, for being 1982, it's like – I mean, yeah, the joke is that, oh, his son is gay. We're playing into that sort of stereotype. The gay is the punchline of that joke. Mm -hmm. But – once you get beside, once you get beyond that, it's sort of progressive in its development because it's like ultimately yeah. the conclusion is: if you love him, you have to accept him for who he is. Yes. So, yeah. and and I mean, there will be a, an episode later this season that deals a lot more with this kind of puts this whole, you know, little microcosm joke on Front Street for the whole episode. I, I mean, th- that was one of those things where I was like, hmm, how is, is this joke going to age well? And ultimately I was kind of like, you know what, this one didn't feel that bad. This one kind of felt fine because ultimately the point was, yeah, ex- it's a it's a point of tolerance. Yeah, But it is yeah. based on the fact that yes, him being gay was the punchline. And that's kind of, uh, okay, I, I'm not wild about that, but it was 1982.
2: Well, I think it was, it was the punchline just in that that was the surprise. They didn't really make any jokes about the son being gay after that. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, they, they
2: weren't. You know, they didn't do anything like I don't know, call him Twinkle Toes or something that a, a typical sitcom might have done in that time. Right. So, uh, yeah, I would say that yeah, for for 1982, it was like pretty progressive and pretty accepting. I mean, a Coach does say like you know, oh, if you don't like it, you know, just throw him out and tell him you never want to see him again. And I was thinking like. They wouldn't have a main character in a show say that today, right? Even even in jest, right? Um, you know, I mean, but Coach is so kind-hearted. You know, he doesn't really mean that, I right? Think I think Coach in, in takes so,
0: takes everything on the face, and Coach is almost so literal that he's mm-hmm. just he's he's just trying to put himself. He's trying to empathize with Leo. He's trying yes. to put himself in Leo's shoes. He's like, well, obviously this is a problem for Leo. This is the easiest solution. It's like if you have this problem, throw him out of your life. And Leo needs to sort of recontextualize it and say, "Oh, I see what you're doing there." He's like, yeah, I, "I can't yeah. throw him out of my life. I love the kid." And he's like, "Oh, hey, coach, you kind of made me think about that." And coach is like, "I did."
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he helps him almost without meaning to, which was which was great. And that's you know that's such a coach kind of plot line. Right, right. Huh? We haven't really talked about the main plot line, which is about you know Diane discovering that Sam well basically likes to date bimbos
0: right, <laughs> that's, right. That's, and, yeah the, yeah this one sort of it we get two things in this episode now that the pilot is out of the way now that we've met all the characters there are two things that we didn't really get in the pilot that become driving factors for the series mm-hmm. one is sam's womanizing the fact that he sees a lot of women over the course and he generally likes simple not, like non complicated relationships so he uh, he finds these types of women mm-hmm. um the other thing is the romantic subplot, the romantic development between Sam and Diane, because they have a little bit of a flirtation when they first meet in the pilot, but that's really because she's alone, because he doesn't see Sumner with her at the beginning. Once he's like, oh, she's engaged, he drops all pretense of hitting on her. At the end, he gives her a job because he pities her. Mm -hmm. But on the face of it, just in that first episode, you wouldn't really suspect that, oh, these two are going to be romantic foils and they're going to hook up and that's gonna be, it's going to be a will-they-won't-they they type of storyline, other than the fact that he's the male lead, she's the female lead, and that's what TV shows tend to be about. Mm-hmm. That would be your only real clue. This is the first time when they really get into their flirtation and their romantic development towards the end of it. Um, but yeah, first we get to the Sam's womanizing, which starts with the introduction of Brandy with two E's. Um, Brandy was played by Angela Ames, uh, she appeared in the movie Scarface, um oh, wow. and she had multiple appearances in the show Night Court, um but as different characters
2: that must be why she looked familiar to yeah, me yeah. yeah she's she's sort of a quintessential Dan Fielding woman too. Yeah, that's so.
0: what I was thinking. I was like, yep, i I have a feeling she was probably with Dan a, a number of times on that show,
2: yeah, yeah, um, and she was good. She played the part well, I mean she uh you know she she did what she was uh, supposed to do. she was supposed to look stunning and she certainly did yeah. and uh you know she also nailed all the jokes they gave her too so
0: and i mean like i i think they they call her a little bit dumber but i was like you know my first impression of her was like she's not i mean i think sam calls her a tree stump at one point yeah and i was like i don't get the impression she was that dumb i think the the kind of the dumbest thing she says is that she doesn't want to see an australian movie because she doesn't like the subtitle she doesn't want a, a movie with subtitles I was like yeah. okay yeah that's yeah that's not smart but I was like I I never got the impression that she was really that stupid by what she said but
2: I don't know I mean I think it's it's probably safe to to bet that the Act, the real life actress was was smarter than that so yeah, yeah maybe maybe she was just sort of projecting her natural intelligence there yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah with the Australian thing i think it's safe to say yeah the character was pretty dumb yeah yeah <laughs> and and you know it's also interesting like i think ted danson has said in the past that that it took him like uh, at least a season to like really get sam right and mm-hmm. like the first season sam is significantly smarter than the character we see later on yeah you know he's not as smart as Diane, but nobody's is smart as diane uh but he he's he's got his you know a certain wit to him mm-hmm. you know he's he's uh he's got more more common sense than he would later on i think and that's you know that's a very natural sort of thing with sitcoms. Is the the stupid people tend to get stupider over time?
0: Yeah. Speaking of Dan Fielding again. <laughs> yes. Yes.
2: Oh, oh. Oh. Man, this is going on a tangent, but those early episodes of Night Court. Yeah. Dan's. You know, his, his main trait is he's snobby. Yeah. And then, and then at one point in the first season, like I think they had a beauty pageant there, and he he becomes like a little pervy, and then he he's full on perv yeah. for the rest of the show, and that became <laughs> his defining character trait. Mm-hmm. Um yeah it, it, like like I said it's it's always interesting to see how these things evolve mm-hmm. with time you know they figure out what works and then they really steer into the curve
0: yeah so within this one we get Sam as as he says he likes dating fun kind of loose women that's his thing and it's interesting Diane like it doesn't feel like jealousy at first but later on you might might think that cuz Diane mm-hmm. she she criticizes him for that and she mocks him for that and like later on like when they're in the pool room she's like in a way I'm complimenting you she's like i i think you can do better than that and he's like i don't want right. to do better so that's and then that will eventually lead to the the final scene between them in the episode uh, which is a very memorable scene where he starts talking about the color of her eyes and he just yeah. kind of does like this very sort of casually, oh I never noticed that before and she's like what it? he's like no no forget it forget it and she's like no 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 go ahead tell me and he starts talking about this time when he was on like the ski slopes in Stowe and he's looking out over a sunset and he just the sky was this amazing color and he found himself walking around wishing that he had some to share that moment with because no, he didn't think anything could be that beautiful until he saw her eyes again. And she's like kind of like just like lost and like so mm-hmm. like drawn into the story. And he's like, "Now nah, you're right. It wouldn't work. A, re- a real intelligent woman would never fall for a line like that. And she's like, oh, oh of course not. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and like and- it,
0: it immediately after that, she takes a shot from like whatever tray that she yes. was serving. So.
2: Yeah, that that's a great bit of business, and I I wonder if that was in the script or if that was just something that they added when you know if it was if that was like Shelley Long's idea or if that was James Burrow's idea, you know, because it's a nonverbal bit, so it's something you could have easily added when you yeah, were yeah, true. Uh, rehearsing or shooting it. You know, I, I wonder if even they remember what, at this point, but yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a great button on the scene. And uh, they're both just so good in that scene. Like you know, Ted Danson is just nailing that monologue, mm-hmm. and and Shelley Long is giving him such beautiful reactions. You know, she's really captivated by what he's saying. You know, she's she's you know not just she's obviously not one of those actors who just like you know, waits until the other person is done speaking to to say my line. She's really reacting to what he's giving her. Yeah. The
0: the expressiveness of her face in some of these episodes is just amazing. Yeah. Um, and And it can be so endearing for, you know, for a character that at times might be difficult to like, because yes. she's kind of a snob compared to these other like kind of like these other more blue collar kind of down home characters she sees herself above them in a lot of ways. It could be easy to make her an antagonistic character, but she's just so like not just beautiful but just like the the looks on her face are so endearing and also so comical at times yeah mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, she also did some like really nice uh, physical comedy mm-hmm. uh, in the teaser when she's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> know, she's still a, a very new uh, at the waitressing job and she's <laughs> struggling with this large tray of drinks for like uh, five or six people. And she's like going up the, the couple of steps that Cheers has at the front and, and just her, her physicality in that was, was wonderful. You know, she, she really, I mean, it's a well-written role, but she really made the most of what she had and she did make Diane a lot more likable than it would have been in another actress's hands, I think.
0: Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned that teaser, because I forgot to mention It's such a wonderful teaser. Yeah, she's got this huge, there are two tables with large groups of people. She brings a tray up to one of them, and mm-hmm. very, like, one by one, yeah, she's, like, juggling it. Like, drink by drink yeah, by drink. And, and very playfully it's like, here's your, here's your whiskey back, and, like, does all these drinks by drinks. And then she kind of, like, stops. She's like, is there anything? And then at the other table, and I actually saw the actor who says, excuse me, miss, those are our Drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, that actor is Keenan Ivory Wayans. Who? Would, oh, like, really? The, yeah, one of the like, not the Patrick, but the, one of the head of like the Wayans family that would eventually wow. do the show in living color, uh, and like the movie I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, but yeah, he he says, "Excuse me, miss. Those are our drinks." And the bit is oh. that she brought all of these drinks, everything, to the wrong table. And she's like, "I don't suppose I could impose upon you?" And the groups of people just get up and switch tables because it's the yeah. easier thing yeah. to do. And and
2: and, and, and yeah. they have like smiles on their faces. And she's like, "Oh, thank you, thank you so <laughs> yeah. much." And yeah. yeah, and and you see Sam, Carla and Coach all lined up behind the bar,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, watching is, and
2: being amused by this. Which is and, basically yeah. the
0: same way the the pilot episode ended, which was her yes. screwing something up and everybody laughing. And I kind of – I was like, you could almost flip these things. This scene could have been the end of the pilot episode too. Yes. Like you could absolutely. have almost just reversed these and like something else like the end of that one could have been the teaser for this. But yeah, just a really, really good moment. I like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's, it, it does kind of like go with what I, what I said before is like it in, – in a way, the second episode, you're retelling the story of the pilot for anybody who missed it. And you know that teaser that that establishes right off that you know Diane's the new person there at Cheers, and she's still learning the job. And you know we're going to get like a little bit of humor out of out of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so you so you really learn you know what everybody's all about all over again.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned sort of the. Um... The things at the beginning of the series that don 't quite that haven't quite found their footing mm-hmm. um, and for the most part, I think Cheers was really impressive in how it came in fully formed um, but there are a few things a few things that we get in this one that we don't quite feel in sync with the rest of the series. And one of them was, you mentioned it when Carla, her reaction to Norm when she walks in, how, you yeah. know, friend, how smiley she is. She just, the the, the smile. Yeah, he's like, that's, hey, Norm. Right. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, that's a genuine smile. That's not like a smile that's hiding some kind of malice.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, When Norm sees Brandy, like, through the window, how, like, leering at, or, like, just, like, you know, drooling mm-hmm. and falling over himself. and He and, becomes
2: like, like a Tex Avery cartoon.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like, <laughs> The Norm that we know and love, he wouldn't do that, and I, I think it's not just because Norm is devoted to his wife Vera, who we we know from the first episode that he is married. So it's not mm-hmm. like you know he's a single guy on the prowl. But I think the, the Norm that we know and love, he's just he's too self-aware of himself and kind of too lazy that he wouldn't put forth the effort to run across the room to light a beautiful woman's cigarette because he knows she's not going to go home with me. It's like, she's mm-hmm. going to go home with Sam, so why am I going to put forth the effort? I'll just live vicariously through Sam's story tomorrow when he comes home, when he comes mm-hmm. back to the bar. So that that moment seemed kind of like, eh, I don't think that's Norm. He, he wouldn't put that much energy into ogling women, uh, no matter how beautiful they are.
2: I, I guess I can see that. That doesn't seem, like, too terribly off to me. It, it is, I guess, a more active Norm than we see later on in the mm-hmm. series, where he hardly ever moves from his barstool, but... I mean, George Wendt plays it so beautifully, it still seems <laughs> like Norm to me. Yeah. So.
0: I guess I would have had an easier time believing Cliff doing that than Norm, but...
2: Yeah, yeah. but I mean, Cliff, of course, wasn't real established yet. He right. was... I don't even know if it's fair to call him recurring, because like, from what I understand, John Ratzenberger basically created his character... In, in the audition, he was yeah, aud- yeah. auditioning for he Norm. he
0: character because he knew he wasn't going to get the Norm role.
2: Yeah, and he was like, oh, I didn't do too well in Norm. And then on his way out, he goes, hey, had, hey do you have a bar know-it-all? Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, we don't. And he's like, oh, well, you got to have a bar know-it-all. And he, like, improvised, you know, some of those those wonderful uh, fake bits of trivia that, that Cliff <laughs> would always give out. Um, is, is this actually Cliff's first appearance? Do we see him in the pilot? Yep, I don't remember. He's in the
0: pilot. Yep.
2: Okay, he and is I'm the trying
0: club. to – like, th- this is one of the things I mentioned. I'm going to ch- – I don't think he is in every single episode.
2: Not in the first season, no. Yeah,
0: but but I'm I'm not sure exactly. But it, it might be a thing like where he might only be missing from one. And there's like uh-huh. some episodes where he hardly has any dialogue. Like right. I think episode – I think the next episode, episode three, he might only have one line that we hear.
2: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, other than that, like I, I don't think he's – yeah, he is sort of – yeah, just a recurring guest character, but certainly not one of the leads. I mean, he's not in the credits or anything.
2: Right, right. Um, but I mean, he he does have like a really nice moment. Early on, I mean, when when Sam and Diane go back into the pool room to to talk, Cliff is back there and he's he's shooting pool with another guy and he's like, you know, oh Diane, could we have uh, another couple beers here? And 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 Sam's like, well, in a minute, in a minute, you know, like, and and Sam and Diane talk about their stuff, and at one point, uh, either Sam or Diane says that you know Diane's a waitress, and Cliff just goes, "Uh, you never know it by me, and then (laughs) shoots shoots a ball, and it's. It's such a great read by John Ratzenberger. (laughs) I mean, that could could be just a a nothing line in somebody else's hands, but Ratzenberger gives it just the right amount of sarcasm and venom, you know, because he's in that scene. It's just Cliff's just pissed. He he isn't getting served. Yeah, he doesn't care about this other stuff. And
0: yeah, he's like, he's, he tells Sam, he's like, Sam, we're thirsty. Why won't you let us? And Sam's like, yeah. drink chalk.
2: Yeah, he's, yes. he's
0: Trying to have this talk with his waitress.
2: That's another great line. That's yeah. another great line. And and the other nice thing about Cliff is that you know he's. He's the the only character in the show who has anything like close to a Boston accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know you can you can really believe that Cliff is a is a Boston native. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and he also sort of sticks in your head uh, just because he has that postal uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, so he has a a strong visual that really cements the character in your brain. You know, yeah, you don't yeah. you don't remember the other guy that Cliff is playing pool with because he's just uh, one step up from an extra. He's got like a couple lines of dialogue, but uh, right. yeah, Cliff sticks in your head.
0: Yeah. Um, a few other things that they're sort of figuring out their way. Um, Sam, we find out, is divorced, but still on good terms with his ex-wife because we actually meet her. His ex-wife, Deborah, yeah. uh, played by Donna McKechnie, who, for Chris Franklin, uh, Donna McKechnie was in 24 episodes of Dark Shadows. Um, but yeah, she she appears in this episode. They're, they have a pretty cordial relationship in that he can ask her out on a date, even though they're exes, um, just to sort of... As a ploy, as as a beard to basically uh, to trick Diane, um, but I don't know if she's ever mentioned again. She's no. Yeah, I, like, I, I think they might. I, they might refer to him being divorced, but I don't think they ever refer to her, and, and she never comes back. So, well,
2: I I th- I think I, I must have read this on on Ken Levine's uh, blog. <laughs> I I think he said that they realized early on. Oh yeah, we shouldn't have given Sam an ex wife, and so I think they kind of retcon that out you know they just they just never referenced her again it's kind of like uh uh like you know what what rob kelly is saying with spear and mash you know yeah. it's like by by the later show she she never existed right. but you know uh, rewatching it um diane says something like oh, oh you know uh, I, I forget what the setup line but but carl is the one who says oh that was his ex-wife mm-hmm. and i think you could easily just interpret that as Oh, that was a joke by Carla, because Carla is a very sarcastic character, and she likes messing with Diane. And Diane doesn't know the other characters all that well at this point, so I think you could easily just write that off as a Carla joke. And she's not really his ex-wife. That's how I'm rationalizing it in my head. Because for God's sakes, I want my Cheers continuity consistent. <laughs> you know, that it's that comic, that that comic fan training. You know, you want you want to resolve all of these these inconsistencies and get that no no prize. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know what? that that's fine. That works if you can no prize it that way. I w- I would accept that. Yeah,
2: that's my continuity patch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Then, well, okay. Well, then here's another uh, continuity patch that that I'm going to throw at you. Oh, okay. When Leo comes in, he's asking for the uh, for Gus, the owner of Cheers. Yeah. Norm says Gus was two owners ago. Right. And Coach later says that Gus is dead now. Uh huh. Later on, in season 11, one of the last episodes of the show, Sam brings in the former owner of the bar, whose name is Gus. He's played by Pat Hingle, a.k.a. Right. Commissioner Gordon. And he said that that is the Gus that he bought the bar from. So if we're putting this together, if, if we're saying this, then basically the two previous owners of Cheers were both named Gus. Yeah. But Norm only remembered the one before the Gus that Sam bought the bar from. So that could be the case. We could also say that Coach was wrong and that the Gus that he thought he was talked to wasn't dead.
2: Yeah, but I think, I mean, Coach obviously checked on it yeah. with someone or somewhere, and he found out, so, I mean, yeah, Coach is not the brightest bulb, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I I don't think he would be mistaken about that. I don't think he would necessarily, but, well, well then again, in the pilot, he did forget his own name, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> uh coach and brandy have a lot in common now that i think (laughs) um so um yeah so well maybe 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 gus got better maybe there were two owners named gus i don't know i'm a little stumped there i i wonder if that was having pat hingle as gus was an intentional callback to that or if it was just a coincidence
0: i Mm i because the last season, they do a lot of like callbacks and like resolving old things, like bringing That's Harry the hat back and things like that. And I, I have a feeling that it was intended to be that, but like they remembered that there was a previous owner named Gus, but maybe didn't remember that Norm's line about it being two owners ago, and maybe not remembering that he, the character was dead or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it could have just been that Pat Hingle looks like a guy named Gus O'Malley. But yeah, I, I have a feeling that they were trying to bring it back, but maybe just didn't quite – the continuity didn't quite line up. They got a little yeah. bit more.
2: And, and also, this was, you know, this was a pre-streaming, pre-home right. video age. Right, right. They're doing this then. So they never expected audiences to keep <laughs> track of the continuity the way we do today you know now
0: try try and make sense of Fraser Crane's continuity across both shows and the way oh, yeah. that he describes his parents and his family at different oh, times oh yeah
2: well well the, the beautiful thing is like when Sam came on to Fraser <laughs> they actually address that <laughs> and 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 he was and like he introduces his his Sam to his dad and he's like oh what did he tell you about me the old cop and he said Well, he said you were dead and you were a research scientist. (laughs) And it turns out Frazier and his dad had just had a fight. So Fraser like killed him off in a a fit of spite. (laughs) And and he says, well, why'd you tell him I was a research scientist? He goes, you were dead. What did it matter? (laughs) And, you know, and and that's great. I love that they toss that in for the hardcore fans. I mean, it's it's funny in and of itself, but it's but it's really funny if you know the reason why they were doing that. Yeah, of course. and and you know also the I, I he he sees Niles and he's like oh he he looks just like you did when you first came to the bar <laughs> and and he, and he looks at Frasier and goes well what happened and and, and Frasier just goes well oh, it wasn't exactly a health club you were running <laughs> <to."> <laughs> uh yeah yeah i i i know there are like especially when you get into frasier there are like uh, internal contradictions in in mm. people's backstories and things like that i mean i started uh Actually a couple months ago this is something I do for fun sometimes is i I'll, I'll make uh, chronologies of shows or comic series and I started doing that and I got through about like the first season of cheers <laughs> and the chronology was hanging together pretty well they'd obviously like put some thought into it nice and uh, yeah I'll have to uh, I'll have to like uh, open that up again and, and get back into that and it'd, uh, be interesting to see like how well it really does hang together mmm
0: well, looking at uh, the characters and a few other details that we get from this one, um, with Carla, we do know that she has four kids. Uh, this, mm-hmm. this time she says specifically two of them are ugly, one is obnoxious, and one is just stupid. Um, <laughs> yep. this is the first episode, uh, that Carla imagines Diane's gruesome death. I'm pretty sure that will come back oh, a couple nice. of times. <laughs> we mentioned leo a couple of times uh the actor who plays him donnelly Rhodes, uh his tv credits include he most recently he played agent smith in the invasion crossover episodes of the cw's the flash and legends of tomorrow oh cool uh he was in smallville and he was in battlestar galactica so for
2: uh, wasn't he also the dad on that that show double trouble
0: that sounds with right
2: I'd have to look him up, but I, I didn't I didn't look up the, the, the credits for the guest actors, but I think that's where I know him from. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: That was uh, uh, Katie Seagal's sisters. Uh, yes. I, I don't remember their first names. But, I don't uh, either, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Coach mentions that he played for the St. Louis Browns, uh, which is a team that no longer exists, um, hmm. but in the 1950s, that team relocated to Baltimore and became the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, neat. Um, so, yeah. Um, and a little think. bit of trivia, there's... There's a picture of a Red Sox player on the bar that hangs kind of like behind like the center of the stage. Right. And now I can't think of the name of the actual player that they took the picture from, but it's supposed to be Sam. Um, for trivia fans, anybody who wants to know this random bit of trivia, if you ever need to know, Sam's number when he played for the Boston Red Sox is number 16. So I just thought that was a little a little fun.
2: Good to know. Good to know. Yep. I, I I remember reading they used another player, to like represent Sam during his baseball days, uh, later in the series. And I, I think they just, you know, picked the players, you know, who had like jawline similar to Ted <laughs> yeah, Danson's yeah. or something. Uh, and I wonder if that was the same player or, or not, because hmm. if it wasn't, then I guess Sam had two numbers.
0: have <laughs> <laughs> maybe got traded away from the team for like half a season and came back or
2: it could you know, be, could be, down, we're, we're plugging all the cheers plot holes. <laughs> I dropped swear. down
0: to the minor leagues for a season or something. Then brought back up. So yes, uh yeah, just a few other things. Uh, the Norms tab segment. How many beers does Norm drink now? I always have to sort of like make exceptions for these. Like, how many beers do we see him start, or how many beers do we see him finish? Is uh-huh. there a decent amount of time between a passage of time between them to assume that this is a completely different beer? Um, I only counted three in this episode. Um, by my standards of how I'm collecting this, which means for the two episodes so far, he's had a total of seven beers. Um, this is going to be the tab that I run. throughout the And that's the in of this like this two podcast. different visits. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, before we get to our last couple of categories, was there anything else you want to mention about this episode?
2: You know, well, actually, there there was one little thing uh, in, in the teaser with when Diane has has those various customers. There's one guy who's like. Just dressed in a red tracksuit. <laughs> and it looks for all the world like the six million dollar man is just drinking a And that amused me. <laughs>
0: but
2: <Yeah. laughs> I, I think I think that's that's about it. I mean, it's it's yeah. a good episode. I mean, they're not it's not like a hundred percent what we think of as classic cheers, but they're well on their way. I mean, they're like ninety-four percent of the way there.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a semi important episode, just for what we get from Sam and Diane in this. This yeah. is like the important first step that that you you know what kind of women does he like, and she disapproves of that. She judges that she thinks he can do better well, that sets her in the position to be you know the woman that that he's going to end up pursuing or something and we see that despite the fact that he is nothing like Sumner or the type of man that she would normally be attracted to and normally you know kind of see herself with once he turns on the charm when he he sets his sights on her she is not above, you know, being seduced by her. She could definitely yes. fall for a man like him when he's when he's really turning it on. So
2: yeah, I mean, uh, with Sam and Diane, I mean, at the end of the day, they're they're two people who are not right for each other, but they have this incredible chemistry that just draws them towards each other, and you know, that's the thing that's really working on the show is is the chemistry between Ted Danson and Shelley Long is just incredible, and you 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 feel it right from the start. I mean, they're just, they're just so good together and they play off each other so well. And you, you really want to see those people get together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, then, then let's bring us to uh, the first of our two closing out categories, the employee of the month. Who did you think was the best or funniest character or performance from this episode?
2: I think I really have to give it to Sam mainly for that that great monologue that we mm. talked about before where he's he's just waxing rhapsodic about the 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 sunset that he saw while skiing i mean i think ted danson just nails that uh, monologue it's it's so good it could it could come off as really cheesy but he plays it just really nat- naturalistically and and kind of low key and it's it's really good i also you know, I think he's he's really good in his exchanges with Diane. I, I particularly love his line. Uh, I like rat parts. It's my favorite part of the hot dog. He's he's just so defensive about how he about how he lives his life. You know, yeah. and Diane has to, of course, criticize every little thing. Right. Um, I mean, Ted Danson may say that he didn't he wasn't playing Sam Malone right for the first year, but. You w- you wouldn't know by me. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I think he's doing a pretty good job. Yeah, Sam was my runner up. I think Ted Danson does a really good job in this one, in particular that that last scene when he's doing his monologue. But the both scenes with him and Diane in the pool room. I yeah. think are fantastic. Um, they, their chemistry and he really you you really like him and you really believe him. Um but I think I would give the edge just slightly to Diane for the same reasons that we've talked about, her expressiveness, uh-huh. the shot the way she kind of needles at him and kinda of like teases him about these things and um all of her just reaction to his um to his monologue at the end with the final capper of her stealing the shot from her from her tray. Yes. Um it's just really, really good. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I have those two almost neck and neck. So yeah, if you're picking Sam, I'll pick Diane. We'll just split the difference because I think that's, I think that's a good, good job. Uh, and then the last one, the home run of this episode, what was the best or funniest line? And I'll say that you just mentioned my runner-up. Because uh, uh. I, I really, I was watching it again, I was like, oh my god, that's a really good line. When she's, when Sam is basically telling her, like, I like, you know, fast loose women. I like hot dogs. I like dumb movies. And she's like, did you read where they found rat parts in hot dogs? He's like, I like the rat parts. It's my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And and, and it, it works, again, just the contrast between the two of them. She, she almost throws that line away. Like <laughs> he just says it in such a casual conversation. Did you read what they said? That? And he and he just explodes. <laughs>
0: He's so defensive it's, about
2: I it. I mean, and it's all the funnier because of that. Yeah. I mean just the two of them were just such a great comedic team. Mm-hmm. Um yeah that the
0: So what so what was your 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 funniest part?
2: Well well I mentioned my my two runner-ups, the the You'd never know it by me from yeah. Cliff and <laughs> I like rat parts. But when I got to this line I was like well that has to be my my home run. Which was uh, where, where Diane is saying, "Well, what if you got to to be with this woman and you got to have all the sex you'd ever wanted? What would you do then?" And Norm just says,
0: "I'd help. I'd the help poor. the poor." <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and again, and George Went just throws the line away so beautifully. <laughs> he just says it so nonchalantly. And it's just such a norm line. It's it's great. that And that, that I think, was probably the biggest laugh of the episode. That was my number
0: eight. one, too. And I think you're right. I think the laugh track on that one is extra long because yeah. that one is yeah. just so perfect. Because you're right. Like, like, what would you do? And she's like, as in this hypothetical question, I just kind of think, it's like, I'd help the poor. <laughs>
2: it's yeah. Like- and it's, it's so great because it's just so unexpected because it has nothing to do with <laughs> Anything he just goes. I'd help the poor. <laughs> like, yeah, once I got all all the sex stuff out of my system, then I can I can devote my my full life to charity. <laughs> to good
0: works, yeah.
2: Yes, that's the only thing stopping me is as I haven't had enough sex in my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, well, good. I think we were on the we were right on the same page with those. So yeah. Uh, so John, thank you very much for being on this episode of Cheers Cast. It was great to talk to you. Thank uh, you for our last call. What would you, what projects would you like to plug? Where else can people find you online?
2: Oh, well, let's see. I mean, you can, you can uh, find me online. I, I periodically write for um, uh, a website called atomic junk shop uh, where we, we talk about comics and TV and movies and just whatever pop culture stuff catches our fancy. Um, and I also write for uh back issue magazine. Um, let's see. We got some uh, cool bits, uh, coming up in issue 106, I've got an interview with uh, Rick Hoberg about his time uh, on the All-Star Squadron mm-hmm. back in the 80s at DC. It's uh, that The theme of that issue is all about uh, Earth-2 heroes. In 108, I've gotten a big article about Aquaman covering about 15 years worth of his continuity from when he got the Ocean Wave outfit through uh, the end of the series where he gets the harpoon hand. Mm-hmm. So that should make Rob Kelly very happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And in issue 109, we've got our big Superman the movie theme issue. So, and I'm still winding up my desperately late article for that one. So, so that, that, those, those should be some fun issues. And the, those are from, uh, tomorrow's you can order those from tomorrow's.com. com.
0: All right. Well, thank you once again, John, for being on the show. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. As always, you can support the show on Facebook and Twitter, and you can leave a comment on the post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Until next time, we're closed.
1: Well, I'll be What? <laughs> Nothing. I just uh, noticed something. What? Well, I guess I've uh, I've never looked into your eyes. Something wrong with them? No, I uh, just don't think I've ever seen eyes that color before. Matter of fact, I don't think I've ever seen that color. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Where? I was uh, was on a ski weekend up at Stowe. I was coming in late one day, uh, last person off the slope. The sun had just gone down, and the sky became this incredible color. I I usually don't uh, notice things like that, and I found myself kind of walking around in the cold, hoping that it wouldn't change, wishing that I had somebody there to share it with me. Afterwards, I tried to convince myself that I'd imagined that color, that that I hadn't really seen it, that nothing on this earth could be that beautiful. Now I see I was wrong. Wouldn't work, huh? What? An Intelligent woman would see right through that. Oh, oh! <laughs> In a minute. Damn. <laughs>